It's game time. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Nine Brawl Podcast, where we tackle daily life challenges and apply God's word to illuminate and preserve his truth while leading others to salvation through Christ Jesus. Let's join your hosts. Welcome to the Nabro Podcast with Jeff Anthony and my buddy Sean Campbell. We are happy right, to be man. here today, y'all. Yeah, back to the introductions. <laughs> yeah, we know y'all weren't excited about it, but you know, Stacey was telling me she listens to all kinds of podcasts, and even like the ones that have ten followers are like, "Hey, this is you know Jeff Durbin and you know Luke the Bear and you know all that stuff." But <laughs> so we can't help it, y'all. Yeah, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best, and I tried the, you know, man, it's been three weeks since you and I actually did a podcast together. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I'm gonna do my best. I, I know when we we didn't do the introductions was three weeks ago. So, but I'm gonna still take the feedback that I got that it should be important for us to be like Sean and Jeff Anthony, like when we're talking. You know, so yeah. I'm gonna do my best to to do that. Now uh, we started off on a tangent there, but let's let's get back on track, Sean. And... <laughs> <laughs> what you mean us going down a rabbit hole? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, I I can tell you, I definitely missed I missed you guys last week. Uh, you know, it was a great opportunity for me to go and surround myself with the high schoolers, yeah. which are going to be um, our the future students in our class, and it was really great to be around them as. Man, it's just God's so amazing to uh, to allow me to see these young these young men and women do His work and to provide me great encouragement. It's it's amazing. They they uh, for those that don't know, I was down in Houston last week. Um, I joined the high schoolers for their Mission Impact uh, trip. Uh, they went to a church called Impact Houston Church of Christ. And it's literally in between the first and third ward of Houston. So um, there's areas very high end and areas very, very below poverty level. And they get a good mixture of people who come to their church. They serve well for God. They provide food, shelter, and, but most of all, God's word to the community. And uh, they were there doing their two week. It's two weeks of VBS. And so um, we got to participate in the in the first week, and uh, and Lord willing, um, they had an opportunity to present the gospel to these uh, young children and uh, to to give them uh, the greatest gift that God gave us, which is His Word and His salvation. Come on, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, but I definitely missed you guys. I was glad to be back in class and. Um, uh, kind of talk uh, what that uh, to segue into what we're talking about today. So for all y'all who weren't able to make the class uh, this week, we decided to move on our apologetics to the what's called the problem of evil. And the main questions are, how could a good God allow so much evil, pain, and suffering? And like you mentioned, you know, there's people in Houston who don't know where that next meal is going to come from, that, you know, their families are divided, parents boys who'd never met their dad, you know, children who've lost their dad, you know, lost their mother to sickness or disease or crime, who knows what it is, but, you know, the real people and their real 
hurt and you know we need to be able to respond to that um and i mentioned it in our discussion but this week we really wanted to focus on how religion responds to this problem of evil um, you know does the god that we serve simply not care enough to take care of his creation or does he not have enough power to do something and you know, we, I brought up different religions in class. Um, I probably lacked some clarity on where we're going because I was sort of figuring out on the fly, wasn't quite sure how far I wanted to go with class. But, um, you know, we started um, kind of heavy, in my opinion. Um, you know, I really encouraged everybody to think about the worst thing that happened to him um, and really sit there. And really think about how that pain affected you, you know, how that pain still does affect you, how you did or maybe still are suffering in that. Because as Christians, as we're responding to this to real people who are really suffering, it is, I believe it's insightful to get in touch with our own pain and our own suffering so that when we go out and when we take the gospel, when we take the truth of God's word in love, we need to remember what broken felt like. We need to remember what hurt felt like. We've talked about sympathy and empathy. You know, sympathy is being miserable with you. Empathy is seeing people in their misery and being present for them. Um, so this week, we really talked about what I've heard as the pastoral response, you know, how we can actually see people in their pain and in their suffering and how the Christian worldview is really all that makes sense when it comes to religion, because everybody has to answer this question, whether or not you are a Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or a Mormon or Seventh-day Adventist, you know, Catholic, or as I said, you know, the good person is, you know, we all have to answer this question, you know, why does evil exist and what do we do about it? Um, so what was your main takeaway from class? Um, my main thing I took when you laid out the, the different religions is the, the work base, um, looking at our believing in the one true God. Um, and what he has to offer in comparisons to the uh, to Allah, Buddhism, or Buddha, um, or the hundred million different gods in Hinduism, right? Because uh, everyone's their own god. So um, just kind of flavor of the day. But those there, the, when you actually break those down, which I know you're going to do, it, it, it all comes down that there is no salvation at all, and. Um, when we think about uh, God, Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, he offers that without works, you know, and that's what is amazing to me. I think that's the problem. The problem that most people have is that the God that they believe in is okay for, for them to allow evil, but not our God to allow evil because, um, you know, uh, I'll let you break it down. Um, and we're, I'm sure you understand where I'm going with this when we talk about, um, Allah, right. And then, uh, even, um, the gods of Hinduism, 
We're talking about suffering. And then uh, Buddhism, that it's our own our own fault. Um, things I, I, I hope you touch on um, is how the devil uses these half-truths, because there is some truths in this yep. in what they're doing, right? And you touched on it last week when you were talking to um, a friend of the show, uh, Clint Walker. Clint Walker. <laughs> yeah, and you were, you were talking about how Adam uh, basically was there and he allowed things to happen. He allowed the half-lie to infiltrate and uh, create the fall of man and introduce these things that we're basically talking about today. So, um, but that was, that was my biggest thing is that we had, and it went into Hutt's sermon today. Uh, and what I wrote down is that the creator seeks us because he loves us. He sticks to us when others don't, he lifts us up. We cannot be separated from his faithfulness. And uh, because of that, we are obedient. We don't, we don't have to do anything, but we want to do it because he offers us salvation. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned hot sermon today. Like it was on point with everything we could have talked about. Um, you know, I, I, I think this is a good place to start here too, is, you know, what he read in Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse six, said the Lord passed before Moses and he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, you know, people pause, <laughs> people think, you know, the old Testament God is this mean and angry and vengeful God, but this is how he defines himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That last little bit kind of wraps it up. That is interesting that he goes there. And I think we've talked about this before. Um, I'm not sure it was on the podcast. So, but as we've discussed, if dad is guilty and he doesn't want to deal with his sin, then his son's going to learn that. And if nobody breaks the cycle, so this isn't a condemnation. This is facts <laughs> that if the father doesn't deal with iniquity, then his children and his children's children onto the fourth generation, hopefully by that time, it's kind of petered out. But that's not a condemnation from God. That is just a statement of reality. But he starts that saying, I'm merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, extending it for thousands and thousands. And that's, that's the God we serve. That's the God who not, he doesn't have to, he can answer the problem of evil. Yeah. And before we go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish. You know, and this is, I think, a good segue to the others is because, you know, Christianity is the only one who has to answer these questions. Nobody dare speak out against Muhammad. Um, and nobody knows anything about the yogic religions, really. And so they don't even know what to call it, but they don't believe in God. So we don't have to ask them that. But nobody dares ask Muslims about 
Allah because, well, he is an angry God and he will bring wrath when he wants to. And so it's important for us to know how to answer this, but the reality is every worldview has this problem. Just so we can lay out what our focus is for this episode, um, we're just going to build the base today, right? We're not going to do the response. That's going to be next week, correct? I want yeah. I know we talked about it a little bit off air, um, but you know how I forget things. I just want to make sure. I don't want to get us off track because um, one of the things right now when we, when we read this passage and what they, uh, if you want to notate this, if we're not going to discuss this today, because uh, I'll probably forget this question, uh, if you can notate it. Um, yeah. When we come up to uh, how could a good God and then insert uh, whatever you want here, we're going to, it's usually wrath, and they like to use the Old Testament here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then l looking at the verse that we have today, you know, God's merciful, gracious, and slow to anger. This is th the defense that we look at. Right, because they don't want to look at the context of before God sent them to go and uh, destroy the other the uh, the uh, help me out um to go destroy destroy the Canaanites the, and the Canaanites. all the all of them right so um, this is where we're at so it's okay to pass on this if that's going to be for next week I just want to make sure we we pull it out um, in case I forget. Okay. Or yeah. Can we discuss and, it today? Yeah, I think so because you know this is this is really where Christianity compares to other religions, and so you know for atheists they don't believe in a god. So talking about how a good god or anybody can do such a thing, you know, is kind of a moot point with them. So I think that's a place where we can visit today because we do want to understand how religions answer this. And so going back to the way I started class, you know, feeling that pain and then thinking about it in terms of specifically Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam. You know, I started with, with Buddhism. Um, the essence of Buddhism is that all life is suffering. Like it just, that's what life is. It's suffering. And the, what the Buddha Siddhartha Gautama figured out <laughs> is that all life is suffering and they suffer because we try to exist. But the whole goal of Buddhism is to escape suffering. And as such, it has no answer to it. You know, most people don't know very much about Buddhism. Um, it's primarily an Eastern religion. Um, it's becoming more familiar in the West, but the whole driving force in Buddhism is karma and it requires suffering. And one of the paradoxes in Buddhism is that if a Buddhist acts in an internally consistent manner, you know, he acts the way he's supposed to, um, they simply do things to help other people suffering out of a selfish desire because that helps them move along the eightfold path that it isn't altruism. It is necessarily selfish because they're passing on 
their suffering to somebody else by making them suffer less, but you're not teaching them to respond to the suffering the right way, quote unquote, because you're just supposed to ignore suffering. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. In Buddhism, there there isn't even salvation, right? It's just you have to be near perfect just to reach enlightenment. So right. it's not the pursuit of salvation, it's the pursuit of knowledge, right? That when I think of enlightenment is like you're in tune to the universe and your surrounding and you're in it. Uh, I guess the universalism, does that come from Buddhism? Universalism comes from a mix of, yeah, Eastern you know, pantheist yogic religions. Um, it comes out of lots of different things. New Age thought is, is grounded initially in these Eastern religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, that all basically teach the same thing with different aspects of it. But you mentioned enlightenment, and enlightenment is as poorly defined as nirvana is. And I mentioned in class, the, the best way they can describe it in English is what's left after you blow out a candle. So it's not nothing, but it's something that's just not there anymore. Um, and they are very particular about that, that it, it is, it's not nothingness, but it's not something, something trying to be something is what drives suffering. You're the cause of your own suffering and pain, but it's also not nothingness. It's this in-between space of something that used to be there, but it's not. But the whole point of it is to escape suffering. You know, most people don't think about Buddhism being hard work, but it is necessarily hard work. You know, the path to enlightenment, the path to nirvana is this eightfold path. And it's not really a path that's sort of a misnomer that when we translate it into English, the eightfold path is this presence of all these eight things. And in English, we define them as perfect, you know, solemnity and perfect you know, humility and perfect, but it's not quite perfect because that has a more aspirational thing. And to aspire to something is something that drives suffering because you're trying to be something you're not. And so the paradox of Buddhism is you have to decide to do all the things of this eightfold path. And each of those eight things has three to five sub items that you have to learn how to do perfectly all at the same time. So I, I briefly mentioned, you know, this plate spinning trick, just imagine doing that with like 25 plates without thinking about the plates, just doing it. And the problem is how do you attain a goal without trying to get there. And that's supposed to relieve your suffering. Your suffering just reminds you how messed up you are. It's your fault. And the only way to get out of that suffering is to work yourself to death without trying to work. 
in in this conversation to me uh, i wanted to ask you the reasons we're bringing up buddhism and hinduism i feel like typically we're not in debates i hate saying the word debate an apology right. an apologetic uh discussion with them but your third one we definitely are and i brought it up as well in class um when we're talking about people who categorize themselves as christians um or we're usually talking about it with them um here so uh, what what would be your main focus or reasoning uh, or purpose yeah uh for bringing up at least hinduism and buddhism for the apologetics of this um or have you encountered actual apologetic uh conversations with a buddhist or with a uh hindu believer that you brought it in yeah so that's a really good question um i don't know if you've heard of melissa darty um she was really into the new age stuff and found Jesus and was redeemed from it. But people who are familiar with new age movement, which is growing rapidly has its foundation in Eastern, these Eastern yogic religions. So Buddhism and Hinduism. And so it doesn't generally present him itself as Buddhism or Hinduism. But if you look under the hood, it's just Buddhism and Hinduism amalgamated, you know, joined together into this new age thing and put the stamp on, on new age. Um, so it's less common now, but that whole new age thought, whether it's even called new age, is seeping into the church. Um, no matter what denomination, Baptist, Church of Christ, Pentecostal, this new age thought is creeping into the church with simple things as, um, you know, what does that say to you? Um, you know, not, not what did God mean when he inspired the author? What is it? You know, what does that verse say to you? That inherently is tied back to new age and postmodern thought that is founded in these Eastern religions. So, um, we're unlikely to encounter it as a Buddhist or as a Hindu. We're most likely to encounter it as a new age thought. And I brought it up today because it's important that we understand how those, that worldview is built, especially as it deals with this so that we can respond thoughtfully to things that are creeping into the church under the name of new age thought. Thank you for clarifying that. And I didn't even uh, put those two things together, but you're absolutely right. And uh, I know Melissa doesn't sh uh, listen to our show, but uh, we did feature her <laughs> and uh, Fran Turek in there. Um, we did a blind react, uh, Clinton and I, when we took six hours to put a two hour show together. Um, <laughs> so, yes, uh, I, 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 she is a true blessing to see to see her testimony uh, play out and, uh, you know, for her to be part of the cross-examine team and to, yeah. to do that. So, yeah. Now, uh, coexistence, is that new age? Uh, the coexistence. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm not trying to go on a tangent because I think it, it's relative yeah. to what we're speaking about. Is yeah. that part of new age thinking, coexistence? Yeah. 
I mean, let's all just get along. There's really no difference. I mean, that's, that is part of this new age thing. This postmodern Christian name only aren't all religions the same. Um, the answer is not at any level. Like you don't even have to open the book to, to know that, that Buddhism is different than Christianity is different than Islam is different than, you know, all of those things on that bumper sticker. They're all mutually exclusive. Um, by their nature of claiming that they are a coherent worldview, as such, they have to exclude all the others. Um, otherwise, they don't make sense, and nobody should believe them. But people who don't think about their faith, it's, it sounds good. Well, why can't we just all get along? You know, all colors, all people, you know, love is love, and, you know, there's nobody better than anybody else but like none of those religions teach that so new age thought and good personism and you know secular humanism they're all just hey let's make the world a better place but they're not going from any rational standard and so yeah the world is suffering but they don't have a coherent worldview to lead them out of suffering yeah, and so just in case uh, people don't know what coexistence is, you kind of uh, roughly touched about the bumper sticker, but um, I'm sure everyone has seen that sticker where it shows all the symbols of all the different faiths uh, that people um, believe in, and, and it's the belief that we can all coexist, that uh, basically kind of like all roads lead to... Um, Kevin Bacon, you know, all roads lead to heaven. Is their <laughs> mindset correct? Yeah, I'm seeing them. I can, I can find it so I can walk you through. Yeah, okay, yeah. So for y'all who don't know, um, coexist, and it's spelled out with the symbols of the d these different religions. The first one has a crescent with a star, so that's basically a combination of Islam and communism. Um, the O is the peace sign. E is male, female. I'm not, I'm sure there'll be trans on it pretty soon. Um, the X is the star of David. The I, the point of the star is the atheist star. Um, the A in, in a circle. Um, the S is the yin and yang. And the T is Christianity. Um, None of those is coherent <laughs> with the next one, except for maybe the peace sign um, that, you know, you're good, I'm good, we're all good. But it is logically incoherent that any of the other ones could coexist because they all teach diametrically opposed principles. They're all focused on different things. And the goal is completely different. So it's a, it's a nice thought, but it is a meaningless con self-contradictory sticker. So yeah, that's what I'm talking about, the coexist sticker. If you haven't seen it, that's, that's what's on it. And yeah, it feels good. It, it, I think bumper stickers are a weird thing anyway, um, but they don't all lead to the same place. They don't all preach the same things. And the goal of life is completely different. And so, it, yeah, it's a nice thought, 
But if you stop and think about it, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. So uh, it makes sense why we're because uh, uh, in class I was like, okay, why are we talking about this? But that does make sense because it's going to be the infiltration of our own church that has has these beliefs. That makes that makes a right. lot of sense. And the last one was Islam, and you know I taught that class on Islam um, in the spring, and you know when I started doing my homework for that class, um, there's almost. 80 Islamic centers, 70 mosques in DFW. Um, wow. The, the, now, it's, the, a, it's the fastest growing religion at this time, right? It's Islam? It, it started to slow down thanks to COVID. Um, <laughs> and actually, in the, since COVID, one of the American imams actually said what a lot of people were seeing. He said that Islam is losing their youth. That's the first time any leader in Islam has said, hey, everything's perfect. It's the first time that they've contradicted that. Um, and so they are losing their youth, just like a lot of religions are. Um, but they're blaming it on the West. Um, you know, blaming it on this therapeutic deism. Um, you know, just God just wants you to be happy. God wants you to be safe and feel good and be affirmed and all these things. And it's attractive on the surface, um, but we're all suffering the same from the same thing. And so we have to be grounded in our faith and why we believe what we believe and understand the implications of our worldview so that we can speak intelligently with love. Um, but we're, if we haven't experienced, encountered Islam, we are going to just, it's simple numbers. It is still one of the faster growing religions and is growing fast in DFW. Um, one of the leaders of the Islamic faith is they called Dallas, the Medina of America. And Medina is one of the three holiest sites in Islam. And they're calling that Dallas now. So that one is a lot closer to home and we are going to experience Islam. So we need to be able to speak intelligently about this problem because we're all suffering and we have uh, to know who's got the answer. Uh, no take to discuss that uh, after, after the show. I have, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I want to keep us on track here. Now, you mentioned that as far as the growth, and uh, I talked about how the Islamic faith, when they when we do encounter this specific, um, if a good God exists, why does he allow evil? They're they're very um, good and at the apologist part on their faith coming after uh, Christians. Um, because we're uh, very, uh, us, not like you and I, just the whole group collectively. <clears throat> um, we we self-loathe or we really do fall into a lot of these. And this is why I'm saying there is some truths in these other um, facets of things that we have where we, we really just um, stay in this hole versus climbing out of the hole of our self-pity and uh, going through Christian sexuality, I think we've laid out 
God has laid out a great foundation, right? That he's the foundation. Yeah. He's the cornerstone. Um, but yet we forget that in, in our walk. And we, so I feel like um, wh what I put it in class is like, they do a good job of that where they themselves have accepted that they're, that they're, that God created evil and we're supposed to have it. We're bad people. Um, and until he changes his mind, I'm just going to keep trying trying to change his mind. Kind of like, I, I, I say it like, I want to get my dad's attention. <laughs> yeah. But am I wrong in, in, in that aspect of it? I, I mean, that's a really good, simple characterization of it because like we said in class, you know, they, if they read the Quran and if they study the Hadith, you know, the Hadith is the, is the way of the prophet, a way of Muhammad. Um, if they study those things, they will know that their God, Allah causes evil. And so then, yeah, I've got to try to get dad's good attention because all I'm getting is his bad attention right now. And so I've just got to work and work and work and work. And as we talked about, you know, the five pillars of Islam is just constant, constant, constant work. And could you, could you lay those out, I can't, the, the five pillars? Yeah. Yeah. So the five pillars of the Shahada, the declaration of faith, Allah is the one true God and Muhammad is his messenger, has to be said in Arabic to count. Um, salat is to pray. As you mentioned in class, pointing towards Mecca five times a day, you get your prayer mat. And as we, what I mentioned in class is it's not a, oh God, you know, we love you. Um, you're, you're awesome. We need you. It is Allah, you're great. You're powerful. You're wonderful. I need your help, which again is true, but it is just recitation. Um, zakat is the offering. And as we mentioned in class that Muslims do a great job helping people. And that's where Zakat goes. They don't go to the building or the parking lot that's managed by, you know, Muslim headquarters essentially. And they give out authorizations and allocations, but the local, the local mosque, all their sagat goes to mission work. Um, so like all these things, we can learn a lot from this. Um, one, I think dedication and commitment to their faith. They miss the point and that's where we differ. Um, Ramadan is the, the fourth pillar. Um, it's three weeks. The, uh, Islamic calendar is only about nine months. And so it isn't the same time every year. So I know when I first learned about it, I first experienced it in Iraq and it was September and I didn't know anything about Islam. So I, next time it wasn't September, I was like, why did they change the date? Um, but it is this three week period and it symbolizes Muhammad's journey from, you know, merchant trader to apostle of God. And so during Ramadan, in that three-week period, you don't eat, drink, or have sex during day, light hours, and you do all that in the dark. Um, and it's designed to bring you closer to an understanding of the horrible place you're in. Um, you know, the Quran tells, <laughs> tells Muhammad's followers he is not a father. He doesn't need anything 
from his people. And that is our God too. He doesn't need anything from us, but we see he is a good, good father. That is anathema to Islam. Um, God, Allah is not a father. He has no children. He doesn't need anybody or anything. And he is this hateful, vengeful God that has just told his people, work, work, work harder. And the last pillar is the Hajj. Um, at least once in their life, every Muslim has to make a journey to Mecca to go to um, the Grand Mosque and the Kaaba, which is this black, giant black cube that they say Abraham brought to earth um, in that. But the Hajj is the last of the five pillars. And the other four are just constant work. And then the Hajj is something that you spend your whole life working and saving and saving up your money, saving your vacation. And it's a great expense in time and money and sacrifice. And that's the point. It is just work hard, work hard, work hard. But Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice stands in stark contrast to the Islamic doctrine of religious works. And because, you know, your friends, you said, you know, just focus on doing the work. Jesus might be that fresh, cool water that Muslims are longing for because Islam tells them to work, 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 and work harder. And the more pious you are, the more you know, you don't stand a chance. And so I've just got to work and work and work and work. Because if you don't know anything about Allah, you know, I can just do these things and I'm good. The more you understand about Allah and the more you read the Hadith, you understand how precarious your position is. And you just have to hope that Allah wakes up on the good side of the bed and <laughs> is in a good mood and likes you that day. And so I, I think part of the question might even be jealousy isn't the right word, I don't think, but it may be, it may be a red herring almost, you know, well, why do you feel so bad about yourself um, to distract you from the fact that they're miserable and worn out? So when we can talk about how Jesus suffered the worst that man could come up with, you know, crucifixion is the worst form of torture ever designed. The Romans perfected it. He suffered and suffered and suffered. And they tried to kill him and didn't with the flogging. And they killed him with crucifixion. We serve a God who knows what suffering is. Jews don't think that about their God. They believe people, his followers have caused him pain, but it's just because they're bad followers. Um, Islam has no idea what to do with Allah and their best chance is just to work, 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 understanding that their God actually causes suffering, causes pain. Christianity is the only one that gives the answer to it from a religious perspective, because we serve a God who suffered. We serve a God who unjustly suffered. We serve a God who experienced actual physical pain, who experienced emotional pain, who experienced spiritual 
anguish. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And spending all eternity with God the Father, just a second away was unthinkable. We serve a God who knows what suffering is. We serve a God who has suffered for us and has shown us a way out of that suffering. And it's not work. It's not good habits. It's not good personism. It's not, it's not even, you know, praying the right prayer. It is trust, justified faith in the our risen Savior as a reflection of almighty, perfect God and understanding that he's the only way through this. And so the answer to the question is, yeah, okay, I'm down on myself, but it's just because I see every day what God did. And I feel like too many Christians focus on the cross and not the empty tomb. And I think that's might be part of our problem is we look at the cross as the symbol of suffering and it is, and it was the method of our redemption, but the empty tomb is the answer to all that. And so I know I need to get better at focusing on that empty tomb and focusing less on the cross. And I think if we, if we work toward that, we're going to be less down on ourselves because we see, we see the risen Jesus. We see the fact that he's not there and they didn't steal it. We know he's actually died. We know he was there and he's not there. And nobody has answered to that. Um, they've tried. The fact is everybody knows the tomb is empty. If we focus on that, I'm going to be less down on myself. And when I do that, I can, I can be the example that Muslims need and that Jews need. And that substitutionary sacrifice might be that just fresh, cool spring water that they've been longing to, for, but can't get to because they can't stop working. I want to go back a little bit to Ramadan. Um, that, that kind of sounds like uh, Lent, the Lenten time. Uh, but I found it interesting, yeah. and I wanted to uh, ask the question. You said that it's only during uh, the day when there's light that they can't do these things. But are they allowed to do all those other things in the darkness? So at night, is that because they believe that God can't see them in their darkness? There's lots of implications, I think, to that. Um, but that's not clearly laid out. It's not in the Quran. And that's the other important thing about the Quran is it's not, it's not at all like the Bible. It is just a random collection of Allah speaking to Muhammad. Um, they only know to do Ramadan and all the other things, all the five pillars because well, Muhammad did it. And so they modeled their entire life after Muhammad and so Muhammad did it, so we have to do it. So, you know, the Shahada and Salat and Zakat and the Hajj and, you know, like kill your enemies and all those things because Muhammad did it. And you, you mentioned praise God. Most Muslims don't follow Muhammad. Um, they don't wish ill on anybody. They want the best for people, but... To answer your question, Ramadan is, I'm less familiar with how it works um, because it takes a lot of study. And that's why they have imams and they have scholars that, because there's just thousands and thousands of ahadith. 
on what the prophet did. And so they depend on their priest, essentially, to tell them what to do, because you can't get there with the Quran. And the Hadith are long and extensive. The internet has helped. Um, you can find lots of Hadith. And there's some 20 different versions. And so they this is going all over the place, but, you know, they criticize us for having all these different denominations, but they can't even agree on what Muhammad did to the de degree that there's 13 validated ahadith that tell vastly different stories of Muhammad's life. Um, but we're the only one that has any kind of division in what we believe. Um, yeah, I, I think it's all relevant, though, because we need to know the positions where they're at, because... To bring it back to the way you started class, now we can pose the question again. Now that we actually had a almost a full hour to really discuss, because it it's kind of unfair that you get twenty five minutes to try to unpack what you're trying to do in regards <laughs> yeah. to this question, right? So praise God that they requested for us to do a podcast to be able to extend class for them in the sense and for those who don't make class to have the ability right uh to have it all laid out and then be thought of right so looking at buddhism looking at uh, hinduism and looking at islam and we can add um, latter-day saints and we can add coexistence and universalism metavism all the different isms that are out there right they all fall into the same category Right. Right. With this, knowing that it is a hundred percent your fault, you know, brother, I got, I got to praise you for, for, for. I have, to, I thank God that He's been able to work in your life to be able to look at the things that happened to you were evil. There, there's no other term other than evil, right? But for, for you to be at a place where you can share and uh, overcome because of God. And to share that is, is amazing. And uh, for myself, I did think about that today when you pose these questions. And all I can think of, and, and I want to know in your study, what is the level of suicide rates in comparison to Christianity and the rest of these religions? Because this makes me want to slip my wrist, honestly. You know, well, I mean, you, that's what I said in class. You, you yourself know what I've been going through since November. Yeah. And if it wasn't for Yahweh and his faithfulness, literally, I'd be like, it, it's all for naught. I'd, I'd rather just end it. Right. Because <laughs> life sucks and like it hurts. It hits back. It, we are surrounded by evil, and it actually is our fault, but not in the way these other religions say. It just it is, it is the fall of man. It is the natural result of sin. And you know, people will say, well, what about hurricanes and earthquakes and things like that? That when, when sin broke the world, it broke the world. And you know, God doesn't punish people. I don't think, I don't believe that God punishes people with hurricanes and typhoons and earthquakes and tsunamis and all these things like that. But 
you bust the way the world is supposed to be. And God said, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. He meant it. But it's not your individual fault that your life sucks. It's not your individual fault that that thing happened to you. It's not your individual fault that you're suffering right now. Now, you may have done things to contribute to the suffering. and That's a whole nother conversation about poverty and homelessness and things like that. But pain and suffering and evil, that's not your fault. And I, I only got there, praise God, because of him, because of Stacy, because of godly men who've walked with me through that, because they've had a pastoral response to the problem of evil, that life hurts and life is mean and it's unfair. So I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to mourn with you. I'm not going to get stuck there. But I'm going to be there with you so that I can be there as God leads you out of it. I can be there and hopefully point you towards the God that will lead you out of it. I don't have the answer to your question about the suicide rate between religions. I'll look at that. We can talk about it next week. But just what you said is exactly what I thought is man, if if this is just my fault, just end it. If I can't escape this, if suffering is just a result of me trying to be human or me not trying to be God or me not knowing if I can be safe with my God, like what's the point? And so I think the work is necessary according to those worldviews, but the work is also cover for pain and for misery and sadness because they know they can't get there. And so when we can answer the questions well, um, can't think case for Christ, um, Lee Strobel, you know, he talks about asking questions, surprise, but the question he likes to ask to people who are coming with these kinds of questions, how can a good God allow so much suffering? His favorite follow-up question is, out of all the questions you could ask about God, why that one? And that generally uncovers the suffering. That generally uncovers the pain. And then it takes off the smoke screen. It takes off these, the blinders off you and them, and it shows you why they're asking that question. Maybe it is sexual trauma. Maybe it's physical trauma. Maybe it's emotional trauma. Maybe it's some kind of traumatic experience that they just don't believe in a God that will let that happen. And then we can meet them in that pain. We can, we can see them there. We can empathize with them and then earn the right. We bring this up a lot. Earn the right to speak truth. You earn the right to respond with the words of Jesus. People say, well, if you just live Jesus, you won't have to speak. (laughs) That is not consistent with Scripture. But with the problem of evil in particular, if we meet people in their suffering and we see their pain and we can actually (laughs) affirm them as people created in the image of God, 
that just need some help and be there with them that with them in that will be there to help point them in the right direction. We'll be there because we've, no matter what it is, we've learned what pain is. We've learned what suffering is and we know our God who did it for us. We can be there with those people who are, who are suffering and who have actual trauma suffered trauma in their life. We can find it by asking good questions and then just being present. And if we're present with people who hurt, we could change the world. God can use us to change the world. But if we just say, suck it up, buttercup, it's not that bad. You know, God closes the door, he opens a window. You know, all things work together for good. You know, I've, they're all true. They're not helpful in the moment. And if Jesus taught us anything, he didn't preach all the time, but he ministered all the time. He did preach. He didn't preach all the time. He was, he ministered to people in their pain, in their suffering. He saw them there. He went to them. He listened to them. He talked to them. He did teach them, but he earned, he earned the right to speak truth to people. We're delusional and completely missing the point if we don't think we need to do the same thing. Good stuff. I'm looking forward to next week's uh, discussion. Uh, I think we did a great job um, laying out the foundation uh, for next week, which is the actual response. I'm looking forward to um, you laying out who he is. I know that, that uh, before we started recording, that the theme that kept popping in my head is, who am I? And I'm ready to hear your response to them to let them know who he is. Um, do you have anything else you want to lay out before we close the podcast today? Um, yeah, just to circle back to the beginning and revisit the end. Chapter 34. That we, we have the best answer, and the best answer is Jesus. And when we, when we live like Jesus taught us to live, we can actually answer the problem that evil exists. So this week was how does religion answer the problem and focusing really on the pastoral response, the emotional response, the true Christian response needs to be next week. Um, let's talk about how atheism answers this question and then the logical response to that. And I purposely put it after the pastoral response because we need to know that answer first, but most the rest of the people who are asking the question are just trying to poke at us and we need to answer that. And then I'll close it off by bringing, answering your question by really focusing on who God is and why we can answer this both from a logical standpoint and from an empathetic standpoint, because evil exists. We can respond to it. We don't need to be afraid of it one, everybody, every worldview has to answer this question. And two, the Christian worldview is the only one that answers either one, the pastoral response or the logical response. And when we're equipped with both of those things and understanding which one to use when, we will be better ambassadors for Christ in this fallen world that is desperately looking for a reason to believe in something. And we can show them that they can believe in something in their pain 
and believing in that, following that God can lead them out of their pain into something that they never imagined, we can give them the answers that they're looking for. Thank you, Sean. If you could uh, pray us out. Yeah. Father in heaven, thank you for being our Father. You are a good, good Father. You are gracious and merciful and loving, patient and forgiving with us. I pray that we would rejoice in that, that we would not focus on ourselves, even in our godly sorrow, but our sorrow would lead to repentance and our repentance would lead us to back to you. We would know that you love us as our father, that you expect our obedience, but you knew that we couldn't do it. So you sent your son to suffer for us, to suffer because of us. Help us to know that the cross was necessary because of our sin, but remember the tomb is empty. And because that is true, we can trust what you say. We can trust that you are who you say you are, and we can trust who you say we are. Helps to meet people in their suffering. Help us to empathize with their pain so we can earn the right to lead them to you. Give us wisdom, truth, love to speak truth and light in this dark world. Father, make us more like you every day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes this week's podcast. Just remember, when the world tries to get you to backslide, all you got to say is, Nah, bro.